Today's sermon comes from Matthew 8, 1 through verse 17. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. You may remember a while back, I shared a story of uh, Haddon Robinson. He was a professor for some time, an interim president at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And he tells a story of his dad who died at the age of 88. He spent his last years with Haddon in Texas, but before that time, he lived in New York City, in Harlem, and in a section of Harlem called Mousetown, which at the time Reader's Digest said it was one of the toughest, worst neighborhoods uh, in the United States. And it was during this time that in the last several years before he moved back to Texas or to Texas with Haddon, uh, that he was beaten up several times. One time he was pushed down several flights of stairs, ended up in the hospital, uh, and another time he was beaten up to the point that he, he got a hernia. And being a man of simplistic faith and not understanding what a hernia was, he, he prayed to God and asked God to heal him. But nothing happened. And he wrote a letter to Haddon. As soon as Haddon got it, he was in New York City the next day, took a flight and brought his dad back to Texas with him. And it was back in Texas that he uh, got a surgery or was surgery was done to heal the hernia but his dad felt as though God had let him down because he had prayed for healing. He prayed for healing and the healing didn't come. And Haddon tried to explain to him, but, but dad, the, the healing of God came through the hands of the physician. His dad just struggled to grap, grapple with what, what that meant. And so the last couple years of his life, Haddon would say he, he certainly suffered with a deteriorating health, but more than that, he suffered through a diminished faith over his disappointment that God had not healed him when he asked. 
It is so critically important to have a right and healthy understanding of God's healing and how it works. Because without it, you can become extremely disillusioned and extremely skeptical and extremely discouraged, especially considering the amount of brokenness that we go through. Understanding what does it mean that God heals and how does he heal is critical to having a faith that remains strong and robust in the midst of all kinds of brokenness. So what do you need to know about the healing work of Jesus? Matthew strings together three healings here in chapter eight to teach three very important truths about the healing of Jesus. What are they? First, the healing work of Jesus is holistic. It's holistic. And this characteristic of Jesus' healing is front and center in his healing of the leper. Verse two, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Leprosy was an awful disease for several reasons. First, it was physically painful. An area of the body would develop sores that were physically painful. Numbness would follow. Uh, the skin would begin to scale and get glossy. Uh, these sores would develop into ulcers. There'd be poor blood supply. To the severity of it, around the eyes and the ears, the skin would start to bunch up, which would make someone resemble more of a lion, the way the skin was bunching up. Uh, at the super extreme, uh, fingers and toes would drop off, eyebrows and eyelids would drop out. That enough would cause a person with leprosy to cry out for healing. Just that physical pain that they would go through. But that's not it. There's more to why leprosy was such an awful disease. Why it was so awful. It wasn't just physical pain. It wasn't just physical pain. You say, how do we know that? Verse four. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. After Jesus heals this man of leprosy, he sends, them, he sends him to the priest. You say, why? He was cured. The physical symptoms, the ailments were gone. The leprosy was gone. He was physically cured. Why would Jesus send him to the priest. Why this extra step? Well, to be a leper was interpreted as being under the curse of God, under the wrath of God. We see this in Numbers 12, Job 18. Uh, leprosy was not curable. Leprosy was thought to be as difficult of a healing as raising someone from the dead. It was an incurable 
disease. And so put those together, the awful, horrific effects of the disease under the curse of God, incurable, and the only solution or uh, protocol for leprosy was quarantine. And that's exactly what happened with lepers. Leviticus 13, 46 says, the leper shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean, and then here it is. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. They were removed from community. They were isolated. And on top of that, uh, the next verse in Leviticus says that if they, they get close to having contact with somebody, they were supposed to put their arms up and say, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine living that way? Not only the physical pain, but being ostracized, having to say basically, don't get near me. So why did Jesus send this cured man to the priest? Well, there were other skin diseases in Israel that were curable. And so they had a protocol or a procedure by which if someone was healed of their skin disease that had quarantined them, they would go to the priest, be inspected. The priest would certify this person has been cured. And now the priest would reintroduce them, restore them into community and remove them from quarantine. Leprosy was an awful disease, not just because of the physical pain, but because of the removal and the isolation from community. This man was in pain, not just because of the sore spots all over his body. He was in pain because he was ostracized. He was shamed. He was isolated. Leprosy is such a picture of sin. Jesus' healing is holistic because sin and its effects are holistic. Sin affects your relationship with God, your relationship to yourself, your relationship to others, your relationship to the rest of creation. In regards to God, Sin causes you to doubt his existence functionally, to start worshiping idols, false gods, to become materialists. In relationship to yourself, sin causes you to do one of two things. You either develop a God complex or a savior complex, or you develop an incredibly low self-esteem. And either of those then cause you to mistreat others and to have your relationship with others affected, to where you abuse and exploit others. And then when we talk about how sin affects your relationship with creation, we only have to look at our jobs because our jobs are meant to, cultural mandate, develop creation, right? develop culture. And yet you and I know with our jobs, we can become lazy and lack purpose. Or on the other hand, we can become workaholics. Sin and its effects are holistic. And I didn't even mention the actual physical diseases like leprosy or cancer 
or mental illness or on and on and on, right? The effects of sin are holistic and therefore Jesus' healing is holistic. Nancy Guthrie recently interviewed Christian author Johnny Erickson Tata. I've shared her story before. In 1967, she was involved in a diving accident at the age of 17. She became a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. In this interview, she gives a very interesting perspective on what she is looking forward to. This is what she said. You look at me in this wheelchair, paralyzed for 52 years. And most people would think, oh, you're looking forward to your new body. And yeah, that's one of those fringe benefits. But I'm looking forward to the new heart. Hmm. A heart free of manipulating others with precisely timed phrases. A heart free of fudging the truth a heart free from hogging the spotlight, believing my own press releases, a heart free of not believing the best of others, a heart free of caving into fear or anxiety about the future. I can't wait to have a heart free of sin. Jesus' healing is holistic. How is your view of Jesus' healing insufficient? Does your insufficient view of Jesus' healing, has it caused you to miss ways that Jesus has healed you? And how has your insufficient view of Jesus' healing affected your relationship with him and affected your relationship with others? What do you need to know about Jesus' healing work? First, it's, it's holistic. But second, it's authoritative. It's authoritative. We get to this second healing that Matthew records. A centurion comes to Jesus and says in verse 6, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Now, this centurion was an officer in charge of 100 soldiers. Centurions were the backbone of the Roman army. This centurion was a Gentile. He was not a Jew, which means that he was not part of the community of God's people that had these rich promises from the Old Testament or this rich history of God's track record in the Old Testament. And yet, verse 10 says that Jesus marvels at the faith of this man. He marvels at his humility, and he marvels at this centurion's understanding of Jesus' authority. Jesus is astonished. Let's, let's start with humility. Verses seven to eight. And he, Jesus, said to him, the centurion, I will come and heal him. I'll come and heal your servant. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. 
His servant was suffering terribly and paralyzed. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion's response isn't, great, let's go, come on, let's go. Centurion says, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Talk about humility. This is the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There was no entitlement, no pride in the centurion. He humbly said, Jesus, I am not worthy to have you come to my house and heal my servant. But not only his humility, then you see his understanding of Jesus' authority. End of verse eight. He says, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus goes on to explain what he meant by that. Or the centurion goes on to explain what he meant by that in verse nine. He says, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And he goes on to say, I say go and they go. I say come and they come. I say do this and they do that. This centurion understood authority because all authority was vested in the Roman emperor. This centurion was obeyed because he understood that when he spoke, it came with the authority of the emperor. And so he's using this analogy to say, Jesus, I understand that when you speak, you speak with the authority of God. And therefore, when it's said, it's done. And that's exactly what happened. Verse 13 says, at that very moment, the servant was healed. Jesus never went to his house. He said the word and the servant was healed in an instant. Jesus marveled and then says in verse 10, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now, what did Jesus mean by this? Well, he goes on to say, there will be Gentiles like this centurion who enjoy the feast at the end of time, the marriage supper of the lamb, who will sit with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the pillars of the faith. And then he says, they're sons of the kingdom, meaning Jews, that will not enjoy this feast and will be thrown into the utter darkness. In Mark 6, 6, it says that Jesus marveled, same word, marveled at the unbelief of the Jews. And here, Jesus marvels at the belief of a Gentile. Why did the Jews struggle to believe? They had all the promises. They they had the Old Testament. They had the Torah. They had the history of how God had acted on their behalf. They had his track record. They had every reason to believe, and yet they didn't. They struggled. Why? Because one of the common sins that plagued Israel throughout its history was pride and entitlement. They interpreted their being chosen by God as privilege not as responsibility. They believed God had chosen them because there was something good in them that was worthy of that choosing. And because of that, they continued to believe that they deserved something from God. That explains why Jesus or why the the Jewish leaders got so angry 
when Jesus would spend time with and heal tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners because in their minds, they were completely undeserving of any attention from Jesus. Drove them crazy. Why? Because they were full of pride and entitlement. And you contrast that with this Gentile centurion and all you see with him is utter humility. Jesus, I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. He knew that the healing of his servant depended solely on the authoritative, sovereign word of Christ. His servant didn't deserve to be healed. He didn't, ha- he didn't deserve to have his servant healed. He knew that. He expressed that. He wasn't entitled to having his servant healed. You say, how do we know that? Verse 13. And to the centurion... Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. Jesus is not saying this healing miracle was performed in proportion to the centurion's faith, nor is he saying that this healing miracle was performed or accomplished because of the centurion's faith. He says, as you have believed. Jesus was saying to the centurion, you believe that I am able and have the authority to heal? And so I'm going to heal your servant to assure you that you are correct. I have the authority and I am able to heal. The object of this centurion's faith was in Jesus' ability to heal, not in his will to heal. You see the difference? This centurion, the object of his faith was in Jesus' ability to heal, not in his will to heal. The centurion understood that is Jesus, your sovereign choice and your authority to execute. But I believe that you are able to heal. To say that God will heal you before Jesus returns is presumptuous because you and I don't know the mind of God. But to believe that God or Jesus is able to heal, that's exercising faith, that Jesus is able to heal. We know two truths. God is able to heal and he will completely heal what is unhealed when Jesus returns. But between now and then, God may choose to heal or he may not choose to heal. It's his sovereign choice. When you grasp this, this is so liberating. When you grasp that all authority to heal is in Jesus' hands, whether he decides to heal or not, when you grasp this, it's so liberating because it frees you from being harassed, condemned, 
by some of the following questions. Why was that person healed and I wasn't? Why was that person delivered from their hard circumstance and I wasn't? Was it because they were more faithful? Was it because they prayed more fervently? Or another question that can harass you and plague you and consume you with anguish. Why is my life full of suffering one hard thing after another? I can't seem to catch a break. Is there something I've done that I'm paying the price for? Those kind of questions and responses are evidence of pride and not humility because your faith is in what you have done or what you haven't done and not the person of Jesus. Pride is, is just faith in self versus faith in the person of Jesus. The solution to your anguish is the authority of Jesus, not the decisions he makes with his authority. You see the difference? The solution to your anguish, and we all have anguish. Everyone does. We're all broken. This life is full of hardship and affliction. And I, we don't have to convince each other of that. And with affliction and hardship comes anguish. The solution to your anguish is the authority of Jesus, not the decisions he makes with that authority. And that leads us to the, the third truth of Jesus' healing work. It's holistic, it's authoritative. But then this, this last characteristic component of Jesus' healing work is absolutely critical. And that is that it's accomplished. It's accomplished. We arrive at this third healing that Matthew records. It's the healing of Peter's mother-in-law who has a fever. She has a fever. After taking away her fever, we learn that Jesus had a pretty busy night. Verse 16. That evening, this is after Peter's mother-in-law had been healed of her fever. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And then Matthew makes this very interesting point in verse 17. He says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, this is a quote from Isaiah 53 which talked about Jesus' sufferings 700 to 750 years before they actually happened. It's an odd place for this quote because it doesn't seem to fit. It says that Jesus took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And you say, but wait, 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 time out. When Jesus healed this leper, he didn't, 
bear the leprosy himself and contract leprosy. When he healed the centurion's servant of paralysis, Jesus didn't take on that paralysis himself and become paralyzed. When he took the fever away from Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus didn't take that fever on and contract a fever himself. You say, what? well then, what is Matthew saying here by quoting from Isaiah 53? Well, let's start with the obvious. Jesus didn't heal everyone. For as many people as he healed, there were that many and more that he would pass that were in the crowds that didn't get healed. Jesus did not heal everyone. His healing, were, it wasn't a raw display of power. His healings were signs pointing to something. And that's why Matthew's quote here of Isaiah 53 is absolutely appropriate because Isaiah 53 was pointing to something. In fact, Jesus' healings and Isaiah 53 point to the same event and that is the cross, where Jesus took our place on the cross and suffered and died in our place. It's at the cross that Jesus took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, this is substitution. It says that Jesus substituted himself for you. When we talk about the substitutionary nature of Christ's work on the cross, we most often talk about it with sin. Right? That on the cross, Jesus took your sin from you. And then he gave you his righteousness or his sinlessness. There's a transfer. There's a great exchange that happened at the cross. He took your sin and he gave you his sinlessness. But... The substitutionary work of Jesus doesn't just apply to our sin. It applies to our miseries and sufferings as well. There's a great exchange that occurred between Jesus and those he healed during his ministry. Like these three healings that we saw, he took the burden of the miseries of his people on himself and gave them healing. This happened at the cross. Think about Jesus when he entered into his passion hours before he would hang on the cross. He was blindfolded. He was mocked. He was beaten. Then he hung on the cross and he poured out his blood. Each healing miracle in the gospel finds a counterpart in Jesus' suffering by which this transfer of your miseries happened. Jesus was blindfolded in place of the blind. He took on blindness. Jesus became lame for the lame. He took on lameness. He became paralyzed for the paralytics. He poured out his blood for those that had an unstoppable flow of blood, which we see in the Gospels. And he had the powers of evil unleashed on himself 
for those who had been demon-possessed. The miseries, not just the sin, but the miseries or the sufferings of his people, he transferred to himself. And he was raised from the dead in order to raise the dead. Think about this leper that Jesus healed. As I said, the law stated that if you touched someone with leprosy, you yourself became unclean. Now, this gives real importance to the detail that Jesus touched the leper. The substitutionary nature of Jesus' work wasn't realized in the moment for the leper. But it would become clear when Jesus hung on the cross that he was the most unclean man who had ever lived under the curse of God. And so yes, the uncleanness of this leper was transferred to Jesus. And the scene of that substitution and that transfer was delayed until Jesus was on the cross. But he took on the uncleanness of this leper and that's why he touched him. And he's done the same for you and the same for me. He takes our uncleanness. What does this mean? It means that the healing of your sin and your misery has been accomplished. Jesus took on your sin and misery upon himself nearly 2,000 years ago. That means that your healing has been accomplished even though it has not been fully applied to your life yet. Accomplished, not yet fully applied. If you're in Christ and you have cancer, the miseries of your cancer were transferred to Jesus on the cross. Your healing has been accomplished even though your healing hasn't been fully applied to your life yet. And even if you go into remission and your, your cancer is gone, you know that you always live under the threat of that cancer returning. Your healing has been accomplished and it will fully be applied when Jesus returns and you receive a new body into which the cancer will never, ever, ever be able to return for eternity. If you're in Christ and you struggle with mental illness, The miseries of your mental illness were transferred to Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago, which means that your healing 
has been accomplished. Even though it may not yet be fully applied to your life. And even if in your mental illness you have found a place of stability and peace through medication and or therapy, you know it takes one stressful life event to throw you back into the dysregulated state. Your healing has been accomplished. It will be fully applied to your life when Jesus returns because you will receive a new body and not only that, a new brain that will never need medication or therapy ever again. In a room this size, there are hardships, diseases, sufferings, physical and mental ailments that are probably endless. And what I want you to hear and what Jesus wants you to hear from these three healings is that whatever suffering you are facing, if you're in Christ, it was transferred. The miseries of that suffering was transferred to Christ 2,000 years ago on the cross. Your healing has been accomplished even though it may not yet be fully applied to your life. One day it will, when Jesus returns. While working in India, Dr. Paul Brand, he was the modern pioneer of the treatment for leprosy. Dr. Brand was in India and he put his, his hand, his arm around this, this patient, put his hand on his shoulder and through the translator, began to, to speak to this man the treatment that he was going to give and how it would unfold. And as he was speaking through his translator and had his arm on this man's shoulder, the, the man began to shake. And he could tell there were, there were muffled sobs as this man was shaking and, and weeping. And Dr. Brand looked at his translator and he said, have I done something wrong? And this translator turned to this man and, and, and asked him, and this is what he said, no doctor. He says he is crying because you put your hand around his shoulder until you came here, no one had touched him for many years. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ, you have received the touch of Christ's healing hand. You've received it. And he continues to apply his healing. It's been accomplished. And he continues to apply it to your life. It won't be full until Jesus returns. But his healing hand is upon you. You've been touched by his healing hand. And if you're here and you haven't trusted Jesus Christ and you know the anguish of life in a broken world, the healing touch of Christ is yours by faith. It's yours. 
by placing your trust in Jesus Christ. And you will experience the holisticness of his healing, the authority of his healing, and you will come to realize, I have been healed. And it's going to be applied to my life. And I look forward to the day when it will be fully applied. Let's pray. Father, these three healings in Matthew 8 are just beautiful. They reveal our very insufficient view of healing. Father, would you help us to rest in the truth of the healing work of your son, Jesus? that his healing is holistic. It's not just physical healing. It's physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual. And that you have healed us in ways that maybe we aren't even aware of because we're fixated on one healing that we just long to have. Father, open our eyes to the ways you have healed us and fix our hope on the day when whatever that physical disease or suffering or mental illness or whatever it may be that we just want healed. Fix our eyes and our hope and the fact that it's already been accomplished, that it's been transferred to Jesus, the misery of it, and so he gets it. But Father, help us to trust in the authoritative word of your son, Jesus. And if he chooses to heal, we will thank him and if he chooses not to heal fully, we will thank him with our eyes fixed on the day when he returns. But Father, thank you that our healing is accomplished. And thank you that it's not only our sin that has been transferred to Jesus 2,000 years ago on the cross, but that it was our miseries and sufferings as well. We have been healed and we are being healed. And one day we will be fully healed and we rejoice in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.